do you feel comfortable? Let's say something happened with sexual misconduct, whether it was for you or somebody else in your office and you were witness to it. Do you feel comfortable reporting it? There's a survey that came out a little while back that said there's a lot of people that aren't comfortable, and especially women. uh, Those from our First Nations community are disabled. They they skew very high when it comes to the fear and the stigma and the judgment and the trust when it comes to reporting sexual misconduct in the workplace. Talk a little bit more about this is Angela Marie McDougall. She's the executive director of the Battered Women's Support Services, kind enough to join me this afternoon. Angela, good afternoon. Hi, Rob. Well, yeah, you know, it's such a delicate subject, but the reality Mm -hmm. is is the numbers are just right there, smack in your Mm -hmm. face. And Alberta and British Columbia are the two provinces at the top of this report for those Mm -hmm. uh, provinces that deal with sexual misconduct the most. What are we doing wrong? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good, really good point, Rob. And the question about what are we doing wrong what we're talking about here is reporting and uh, self-reports can be a good thing. It can uh, be a recognition that we've created a culture uh, that is becoming more um, kind of uh, facilitates the ability for people to come forward and to share their experiences rather than keeping them quiet. Uh, Because we know that sexual harassment has been with us. uh, The sexual harassment in the workplace has been with us uh, for you know, decades, maybe centuries, and that it's even built into the way that um, even labor laws and uh, particularly for women, you know, around uh, being able to um, be pregnant, um, many things that have been built into the disadvantages around uh, gender and age. And so when we have reports, I think it's highlighting that we have, uh, perhaps that we have created a, um, the environment where people can make reports. And that means that B, B, um, BC, with the highest self-reports, uh, is uh, coming a long way to recognizing how endemic this problem is. Hmm. It's a really interesting way to look at it. I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, this StatsCan report from a little while back said there were two things that caught my surprise, that one out of three women uh, didn't know how to identify what workplace sexual harassment was, and then one out of three women didn't know how to report workplace sexual harassment or sexual assault. Uh, that number, to me, seems a little jarring. Well, you know, it tells us just how how sort of the many behaviors that are been normalized for a really long time, uh, how much sexual harassment has just been a part of the everyday uh, relationships of people, whether it's, you know, in public, whether it's in private, whether it's in the workplace. Uh, it tells us how normalized these behaviors uh, are. I mean, I even think about watching shows, you know, television shows from the 70s and how much sexual harassment was just, you know, there all you know, as a part of the show and it's just expected. So because it's been normalized, many of us don't necessarily have that definition of what, what is sexual harassment? What are we talking about? What are the behaviors that are examples of sexual harassment? And so this is always a good time for us to get aware of that because, again, a lot of this stuff has been normalized. We've been trying, for Rob, for a long time, and I think this report is telling us that we're getting better at it, to make visible just how um, routine sexual harassment has been in the workplace. Uh, even that, you know, the notion of the Girl Friday. And uh, I mean, there's so many things that we could look at the various examples that have that have been baked into the employment relationship. And it goes back to the idea when we're talking about women specifically, that for so long, women's public life was not to be in the workplace. Women's lives were primarily in the home. So entering into the public realm of a workplace 
then created a whole other layer of dynamics there. And sexual harassment was uh, a big part of that because, uh, you know, Rob, you know, we haven't had gender um, equity. Uh, We're still working at that. And, you know, around, um, you know, wages, around the right to, you know, childcare, there's a bunch of different things. So sexual harassment is the last uh, indication of how safe workplaces are. And so it doesn't surprise me that we have a portion of the population that doesn't necessarily know the, the definition because it's so normalized. Angela Marie McDougall is the executive director of Battered Women's Support Services, joining us here on The Jill Bennett Show. Um, I'm going to speak from personal experience. It took me a while to find my voice as a man. It took me a while to be able mm. to stand up for myself when it came to the industry that I work in. And mm. I will say this. I think of my daughter, for example, and it takes a while for somebody to go into the workplace and feel confident mm. that they can have their say. What can parents do or what can supporters around these children do uh, to prepare them early for the challenges that they may face so that they can a identify it early and b don't fall victim to it because they don't feel that they have a voice so important uh so important because yeah i've talked about women but men also experience uh sexual harassment in the workplace and other kinds of things Uh, i think what first and foremost we can recognize that um uh that to gain awareness of the definition we're tweeting right now through uh through x through twitter uh, the de- some definitions and also, uh, you know, how to prevent examples of sexual harassment, how to prevent. Uh, but it, ultimately, Rob, uh, it does require uh, communication. It does require making that visible and supporting people to stand in their power and use their voice. As you described, we each have our own journey toward that, especially as young people. And I think as adults, we can make visible. I mean, probably children, youth have already had experiences of sexual harassment just living in the world. So what that means for the workplace, uh, we can start to talk about that. I think it's really important that every workplace, uh, that every worker uh, is, you know, takes some time to learn if their if their workplace has a sexual harassment policy. Who are the the people in the workplace that are designated? for, um, you know, to take those reports. And I, you know, we know that that's not always the case in many workplaces, and it could be dangerous to make that uh, to go um, public, which also means that supervisors also need to be prepared, owners of businesses, supervisors, that we really are required to act if we receive a complaint, or we have to be aware of potential sexual harassment in a workplace. So, you know, it is a responsibility for everybody in society. And so when these kind of uh, research comes out and gives us the prevalence of sexual harassment. It's a reminder for us to look, you know, literally in our workplaces uh, and, uh, you know, in our businesses and to be able to, uh, you know, have a report card. How are we doing to have a healthy environment? And as with any, you know, supporting our youth and, uh, into, you know, and young people to, into the workforce, uh, um, you know, we also need to be prepared to walk beside them if they need assistance in making reports, because sometimes the benefit of an advocate uh, makes all the difference. Angela, thank you for the time and the insight. Second to none. Let's talk again. Thank you, Rob, really, for covering this today.